The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Let me invite you to open up with me in God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, let me just tell you that the, the plan is, Lord willing, to resume our uh, exposition in the book of Colossians, Lord willing, next week. Uh, but for this week, just kind of a, a one-off topic relative to communion. Uh, let me invite you again, Matthew 26, uh, Matthew 26 at verse 26 to 29, because this is where Jesus uh, institutes the Lord's Supper. Uh, let me just, uh, by way of introduction, also say that from time to time, uh, I will preach, you know, like one verse of one chapter, and some people will say, good grief, how do you, you know, just one verse, how do you, how do you go about that? Well, the goal actually today is to go from Genesis to Revelation in one sermon. So, uh, quite the opposite, rather than just one verse, let's sweep the whole thing. What I want to do this morning is uh, reflect with you from the Scriptures about the meals. The meals that the Bible says that God's people eat with Him. Everybody likes to eat. Everybody enjoys a good meal. Everybody enjoys the wonderful fellowship around the table, but we're thinking especially about the fellowship and the table that the Lord sets for us and invites us to come and share with Him. And for as many ways as we can summarize the story of the Bible, and there are many ways or themes that we could point out to summarize the entire story of the Bible, what I want to show us is, is that we can summarize the story of the Bible according to the meals so we know of this meal, obviously, as it sits in the middle of the Lord's Supper, as we're going to be looking from Matthew 26, but we're going to be sweeping the entire narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation to say what are the varied meals that God calls us to eat with Him. So that's the, that's the plan, and Lord willing, we'll, we'll see that together. But if you've got your Bible open to Matthew 26, we're prepared to hear the Word of God this morning. But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the text. Heavenly Father, we come now with the Scriptures open, believing that here you speak to us the word of life. Lord, we have confessed already that you are our God and we are your people. We have also confessed that we are oftentimes slow to believe and slow to trust. And so I pray that as your word is opened and read and proclaimed, that it would also be opened to our hearts and opened to our minds, that you would grant to us faith to rest in Jesus Christ as He has offered to us in the Gospel. So come now, Lord, by Your Spirit to bless Your Word. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear the Word of God from Matthew 26. At verse 26, under the heading of the institution of the Lord's Supper, this is the Word of God. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take Eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. 
Uh, I would have made you an outline this week, uh, but uh, this is actually my first time back at church yet this week, so I'm going to be sweeping with you through the scriptures. Keep your finger there in Matthew 26. We'll be returning, but come with me to the book of Genesis. Early, early on the book of Genesis in chapter 3, as we think about the meals that God invites His people to eat with them, as we learn the story of the Bible according to these various meals. So Genesis in chapter 3, the first meal that we uh, will look at together, although we can certainly say that Adam and Eve ate before Genesis chapter 3, as they lived in the garden in a good and perfect place with everything there to enjoy. Uh, Can you imagine a garden that never grows weeds? A garden that always turns out the best fruits and vegetables, never without spot or blemish. Adam and Eve enjoyed in God's own presence the perfection of fellowship in a sinless world, in unhindered spiritual union with their Maker. That's what the book of Genesis tells us. That God made Adam and Eve to live there in the Garden of Eden. But there in that garden, God also planted a tree that was a signpost to Adam and Eve that God was a God of holiness and a God of law, so as to say, all is yours except you shall not eat of this tree. Not because there's something unique about the fruit, not because there's something unique about the tree, but because God said so, and that's enough. Because God said so. God told Adam and Eve, of this tree you shall not eat. And He told them this, we understand earlier on in the book of Genesis, that you shall not eat of this tree. And then we come into Genesis chapter 3, into this perfect place, where God has said to Adam and Eve, all of this is yours to enjoy with me and in my presence. But we know from Genesis chapter 3 that it did not stay that way. Genesis 3 at verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He, that is the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. Notice in verse 6, these verbs they want you to pay attention to. She took and she ate. She took and she ate. We're going to see a repetition of these verbs. Take, eat. There Adam and Eve in the garden violating God's covenant, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because Satan comes to Adam and Eve to essentially say, God is a liar. God does not tell you the truth when He gives you His law and His command. When Satan sows the doubt in Eve's heart, when he asks the question in verse 1, did God actually say... We identify that as really the root of all temptation, the root of all evil, and the root of all sin, which is a dethroning of God to to say God is not in a rightful place to declare to you His law. Did God actually say, twisting the Word of God to say, He surely didn't mean that or say that, or let's look for the loophole as Satan tempts Eve and by virtue of Eve, Adam himself. 
The serpent is saying to Adam and Eve, God does not want what is best for you. In fact, he knows what is best for you and he's keeping it from you by telling you not to eat of this particular tree. Take it and eat it because that's what you really want and you know it. Satan is convincing our first parents that their highest joy, their greatest fulfillment and deepest satisfaction will be found in disobedience to God rather than obedience. God is keeping you from your real true self, so disobey God and enjoy it. We should summarize this by saying, where Adam and Eve lived in the garden, enjoying His presence and eating and drinking with God according to His law, here this first meal is a eating apart from God. It is a eating of disobedience to God. A taking and eating of sinfulness, Genesis 3.6 says, they took and they ate of this forbidden fruit, this first meal of the forbidden fruit. They took and they ate without God. Well, come with me now into the book of Exodus. A second meal is the meal of the Passover, Exodus chapter 12, the next book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. Uh, you'll find that on page 53 and 54. The second meal that we can identify in the Scriptures as a meal of real significance is this Passover meal where many generations later, God's people find themselves enslaved in Egypt, in the nation of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that they cried out to their God and God heard them because God is gracious. That though Adam and Eve and their descendants had been cast out of the garden, east from Eden, away from God's presence, God was still a God of grace and mercy, and though their sin had led them to a place of captivity, He Himself is still full of that grace and mercy. The Bible says He hears their cries, their longing for deliverance, and raises up Moses to lead His people out of the slavery of Egypt. And the details of the Passover, of the Exodus narrative, they're all important, and they all matter very much, but we want to particularly focus on this meal that is known as the Passover. The night that... Uh, the night before that they're going to be let out, God instructs His people to eat a meal. Not a meal of luxury. Not a meal of plenty, because of course they're slaves, but a humble meal of spiritual significance. And we find that in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, the details, Exodus 12 at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And this was the direction then. Verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So note these details of this Passover meal. This hastily prepared, 
uh, unceremonial meal in which Israel should eat in preparation for leaving Egypt. It's the Lord's Passover. Moses further instructs, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When the angel of the Lord would visit Egypt and come upon the Egyptians' households, those whose homes did not have the covering of the blood of the Lamb had judgment fall upon him, and those whose homes were covered by the blood of the Lamb were passed over from judgment. That's what the word Passover means. That God's people were passed over. They were spared. They were delivered from slavery. And this meal pointed to the reality that God would pass over their sins by the blood of a perfect Lamb to shelter them in grace and mercy. Israel is, slave, is saved from Egypt and Egypt comes under judgment. And this meal of the Lord's Passover is a commemorative meal that God's people would continue to eat through all of the Old Testament to remind them that you were slaves and God has delivered you and He calls you to live in His freedom in obedience to Him. And so throughout the Old Testament, the people of God continue to eat this meal of the Passover, remembering their deliverance and also anticipating a deliverance that's yet to be promised to them. Because when Israel ate the meal, they were eating in the context of their slavery with the promise of a deliverance yet to be received. That model is very important. We eat and we drink, Israel says, because God has delivered us and He promises us to deliver us even more so. The second meal, the Lord's Passover. Come back with me to Matthew 26. We're skipping ahead thousands of years now. The third meal that we want to identify in Matthew 26, the one that we've already read about, the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, comes in the flesh, God Himself, as the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament, including the Passover. You and I are not Jewish, and so these texts don't really grab our attention the way uh, it would to a Jewish reader. Jesus is a Jew. When Jesus in Matthew 26 is eating this meal that we call the Last Supper, it's what every Jew would have called the Passover. Jesus is eating the Passover meal that was instructed back in Exodus chapter 12 because Jesus is himself a faithful Jew and they, the disciples, were faithful Jewish men and so they were celebrating the Passover meal. But Jesus does something revolutionary, something that's never happened in all the generations of Jewish history as the cup is poured out and as the bread is broken where any Jewish priest and any rabbi and any Jewish father would have been instructed to say to his household, this is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate. This is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Jesus instead takes the bread and he doesn't say that. He says, this is my body. And they've never heard anything like that before. What Jesus does is he reinterprets the Passover meal. 
Or another way of saying it is, Jesus demonstrates that the purpose of the Passover meal was always to point to another Lamb of God that would come. Another blood sacrifice that would come to cover the sins of God's people. And so when Jesus says, take and eat, you see what He's doing? He's undoing the curse of sin, isn't He? Where Satan tempted Adam and Eve to take and eat and it led to their destruction, Jesus, the Son of God, our Messiah, says, take and eat for your salvation. Jesus is reversing the curse of sin, fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament when He says, take and eat, this is My body which is broken for you, and My blood poured out for a new covenant. Take and eat are no longer words of judgment, but words of salvation. And we know, we know this because, well, we practice it all the time, don't we? You come to church and you see the elements of communion laid out. But the question that we need to be asking is, what does this mean? What does this do and what does it represent for us? And, and do we understand it in the scope of not just what God has promised to do in Jesus Christ but also what God has yet promised to fulfill in Jesus Christ. Because remember, Israel ate the Passover meal recognizing their deliverance, but also in anticipation of another deliverance that they would receive, and communion works the same way. Do you see how in Matthew 26, Jesus says in verse 29, after He reinterprets the Passover meal, saying, take and eat, this is My body and this is My blood, Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus says this, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus speaks here of a future meal, a future communion, a future reality that is still yet to come, which He is promising here. And in one sense, we know that the church celebrates not the Last Supper, but the Lord's Supper. Come with me now into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn right to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. It's on page 958 of a Bible in the Purak. We do not celebrate the Last Supper. We do not celebrate the Passover. We celebrate the Lord's Supper that second of two sacraments that the Lord Jesus has commanded His church to observe until the end of the age. 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 17 and following is Paul's instructions of what he receives from the Lord about how the church should eat a meal. And not just any meal, but the sacramental meal of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 23 says, The Apostle Paul, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant that is sealed in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Why? Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That's what we're doing. Do you know that? When the church observes the sacrament of communion, we are proclaiming. 
We are proclaiming a king and a kingdom and a reality that can only be seen by faith. These outward, ordinary elements of bread and cup are for the Christian believer the true fellowship of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, spiritually receiving nourishment from Him who is raised and seated in heaven's throne. The Christian believer eats and drinks the Lord's Supper as a testimony of faith, as a shared communion with the risen Christ. And again, to some degree or another, you know that. To some degree or another, you've been doing that for a long time, perhaps. The question is, is, are you growing in your understanding of what it means and what it represents and what it also promises to you? Not only by way of the promise of the forgiveness of your sins, which is wonderful, but also the anticipatory promise of a final meal that the Bible talks about. Because when Jesus, at the end of Matthew 26, says, I will not eat and drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom, He is saying that this table is not the final reality for the church. This table anticipates another reality, an eternal feast, an eternal meal that we find in Revelation 19. So come with me there. See, we've made it from Genesis to Revelation. What a sweep. Revelation 19. Revelation 19 at verse 6. You'll see the heading, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The meal that Adam and Eve ate without God in disobedience to God set humanity on a trajectory to need to be redeemed, to need salvation. And God had purpose from all eternity to send His Son into the world as the perfect Lamb to die a substitutionary death for the forgiveness of our sins. And not just the forgiveness of our sins, but the restoration of our communion with God. We cannot live with God with our sin. Our sin must be forgiven. So Jesus comes into the world, the true Passover, the true Lamb of God, whose blood we spread upon the doorposts of our house, figuratively saying to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will believe the Gospel. We will trust in Jesus Christ. We will identify ourselves with God's people. We will worship on the Lord's day. We will come in obedience to the triune God and sing His praises and heed His Word and come to this table because... This table tells us that there's another table yet to come. A promised future communion. And everything is pointing in this direction of this fifth meal, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Look at it there with me in Revelation 19, verse 6. The marriage supper of the Lamb. John, the Apostle John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything in the Bible points to this direction of consummation that the metaphor is used of the marriage feast where Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, has ransomed His bride, the church, and they are gathered together finally with Him to enjoy His spiritual communion for all time. Everything is pointing in this direction and people of God, when we eat this meal, it anticipates that meal. We eat and drink by faith for the anticipatory glory of what is yet to be revealed. When you will no longer need to live by faith because you can live by sight because all will be laid out in front of you. This, at this time, Revelation 19, is when death is undone and Satan and sin and the grave are defeated and everything that's wrong is made right and all of God's people from Adam to us, past, present, and future, are all gathered in the presence of God there to enjoy the communion that the Garden of Eden represented that Adam rejected and we with him. All humanity rejects communion with God, but by Jesus Christ they enter back into that communion with God. Not in the sense of the Garden of Eden, but in the greater sense of the new heavens and new earth at the marriage feast of the Lamb when all is consummated and everything is pointing into this final direction and the full realization, loved one, of everything you have hoped for your entire life. This meal is eaten not apart from God, but finally with Him. And never to be apart from Him ever again. What should we say about that? By way of application? Well, there's so much to say, isn't there? There's so much to say. But can I just maybe make one emphatic point and encourage you that if you haven't already to take up the February newsletter and read the cover article there because it's about children of the church and the baptized role. So we're joining together two sacraments here, sacraments of communion and baptism. So I fully acknowledge that I, I am not necessarily in a place to be able to understand this as well as many of you. But you love to be gathered around a table with your family, don't you? You love it when perhaps on special occasions or holidays because time and years have gone by so far that your children aren't in your home anymore. Your grandchildren aren't in your home anymore. So it's only on special occasions when everybody is gathered together and you say to yourself, this, this feels right. Now, I say that to myself as someone who uh, you know, frets whether or not our toddler actually eats his food, right? There will come a day when we will no longer fret. <laughs> whether or not the peas get eaten or the carrots are eaten. A day will come when we will long to have our children around our tables. And loved ones, if that is true in an earthly sense, that we love to have our families gathered together around our earthly tables, how much more true should it be that you and I should long to have our family gathered together at this heavenly table? How deeply should we long 
that not one of our children is missing from this table on that day. Not one of our grandchildren, not one of our great-grandchildren. And loved ones, it remains to us as the people of God to say to our families, this is our God. We shall worship Him. Dear friends, God invites you to His banquet feast of grace and calls you and all of your children to that same feast. Fathers especially, say to your children, this is our God. And let us be the people of God in sincerity so that we will be gathered together on that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are our God who through the grace of your covenant did not leave us did not leave us in our sin and rebellion, but rather extended Yourself by way of sending Your own Son that we sinners in Adam might be reconciled in Christ. Lord, we thank You that in Jesus Christ the promises of the Gospel are held out to us as free and full. So we pray that each of us in our hearts might receive them glad-hearted and free with faith in Jesus Christ, both we and all of our households. We pray, Lord, with mercy and pleading. Let them all be gathered in, Father. Let them all be gathered into Your household. Confirm Your promises to us and to our families, we pray. And confirm Your promises to this spiritual family of this church. And we thank You for the meal that You invite us to that we do not come to by way of right, but we come to by way of grace. Stir this in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.